Well, again, I say good morning, morning. and happy new year. year. You know, it's, um, I think it's mostly church family here. I mean, we have a few guests with us this morning, and for our guests, we're glad that you're here. Um, This morning, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, and if you have your Bible and want to go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 12, um, I want to dive in here for just a moment. But before we read chapter 12... We kind of need to, uh, to be reminded of Hebrews 11, which has the, the, the roll call of faith, if you will, the, the heroes, the hall of fame of faith. And in that, every one of these people, the word by faith precedes their name. The words by faith, whether it's Abel or Enoch or Abraham, or Sarah, or Moses, or Rahab, or Isaac, all of those it says by faith before their name. I think there's a priority there. Here's something to consider. We are to be a people of faith. We are to be a people of faith, trusting in those things that we do not see. Trusting the promises of God for whatever may come our way. A people of faith recognizing that God is leading us and He's taking us where He desires us to be. I call it the promised land. See, our faith is in God. Our faith in God causes us to believe that He loved the world so much... That he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be redeemed by him. So that our sin debt could be paid now and forevermore. Simply by believing in his son, Jesus Christ. We trust the promises of God by faith. You see, our faith in the Father and our faith in his son, Jesus Christ, demands... That we are obedient to them in all things while we are here on this earth. You know, as a pastor of Memorial Baptist Church, I have a unique perspective. This morning, I want to encourage you, but I also want to challenge you with what I want to call the state of the church. And this message has been a special joy for me as I prepared it. As we celebrate what we see God doing in our midst. The wonderful things that we have seen God do. I mean, we are a people of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And our faith is in God. And sometimes I, I believe that one of my spiritual gifts is I have a double portion of faith. So what that means is I will trust God every time. That means that that when something comes up, I want to trust God. He's given me that extra portion of faith. He gives everyone a portion of faith. He has given me a double portion of faith, if you will. The problem comes when I hear people saying we can't do something. I get tired of hearing that. Doesn't happen a whole lot, but I, I hear it. You know, sometimes we can be so negative about what we think 
we ought to do whether God is in it or not. You know, it, it's like, well, when we plan things, when we move forward with things, I'm not used to that. We've never done it that way. Trust God. Trust God. That's all the negativity I have in my sermon. But on a positive note, seriously, I, I, I want to thank you, Memorial Baptist Church, for the investment that you all have made in unlimited partnerships. We'll be wrapping up our two-year commitment with them in the next couple of months. We still need a few... Several hundred dollars for that, but I'm trusting God. Our sponsored intern, the one who we sponsored through Unlimited Partnerships, is my son Nathan. And next Sunday morning, he will be preaching in view of a call at Pendleton Baptist Church in Pendleton. What a tremendous blessing that is. Where we can invest in the lives of young people, this new generation... And help them become ministers of the gospel. You all had a part in that. And this dad and this pastor, thank you. In 2016, we also entered into a two-year partnership with an organization called Commissioned. Which enabled us to bring Corey Stewart on board as our college minister. And I want you to know that Project University, the ministry of, of challenging college students, will continue to be a very fertile and fruitful ministry in our church for many years to come. You see, God and Corey Stewart are doing great things. We have more children, more youth, more adults in attendance on Wednesday evening, almost as many as we have on Sunday morning. I mean, our NBC Kids Connect that is led by our children's minister, Casey Jumper, our established, that's the name of our youth ministry, led by youth minister Jeff Watts. Both of those ministries have significant challenges as they... As we watch this burgeoning growth of these incredible ministries that will continue to fuel the growth of our church. The best thing we can do is get behind those two ministers and help them accomplish the vision that God has given them. I mean, what a great blessing it is that God has entrusted us by giving us young people to work with. And our king-agers. Our king-agers, our great group of wonderful seniors. They continue to grow in, in grace. They continue to grow in fellowship and, and in fun and in numbers. Don't forget, it's the third Thursday of every month. This last year, we also initiated our small groups. And this year, we're expanding these connect groups from five groups to seven groups. Amen. We're growing. We see the need for more growth. 
we're meeting in host homes. And I just want to say praise the Lord. Because it really is a blessing to be a part of a small group where you can sit around the Word of God and share the concepts and the principles of God's Word with one another. What we need is we need the people in those groups to invite other people to come to those groups. That's why we expand them to seven. And hopefully, who knows how many. I mean, many of us had the fantastic opportunity to read through the Bible this past year with other believers. And it was a most rewarding experience. We were also able to realize the building of the the Bowen Pavilion out here for weekly and special events. I mean, it gives us options and new venues for, for loving on people. See, our Harvest Fest was bigger this past year than it's ever been before. People notice on the outside something's going on here and they want to be a part of it. See, our community is showing up and they're trusting us more and more. Other ministries of our church are coming into alignment with the overall vision and mission of our church. Our deacon body has increased in involvement and spiritual influence in our church and in our community. And brothers and sisters, that is a great victory. The fact that that deacon body is becoming the heartbeat of this church. Those servants going out and serving our families and the people around us. Families are being touched. Lives are being changed. And as a result of your investment and influence in this community, we saw a total of 10 people make public professions of faith in our church this past year. That's 10 souls for all eternity. We also saw 35 other additions. People who came to us either... um, through, through a transfer of membership or on a statement of their faith. Folks, we're growing. We're growing. But I believe we should aim higher. I mean, why not 30 professions of faith in 2017? See, our mission giving has been steadily increasing over the last several years. And we know of and have the opportunity to participate and interact with more mission work than ever before here at home and abroad. We personally know more missionaries today on the foreign field than ever before. We know them by name. See, I love the four-part video series of our own former IMB missionaries, Tim and Teresa Rudolph that we showed each week throughout our emphasis for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You know what, church family? We exceeded our goal for the Lottie Moon. We had a goal of $4,016. We raised an offering to God of $5,294. So thank you for giving. Thank you for giving sacrificially. You know, that's a blessing when we are able to achieve goals because of your faithfulness. So I say thank you. By the way, I believe that God is calling 
our church to be actively involved in the ongoing work in Tanzania. I believe with all my heart that we should adopt the Liguru people as part of our effort to go and make disciples of all the nations. Because people who are coming to our church, they desire to come and and, and join because they want to grow spiritually and because they want to serve. They want a place to serve. They want to be a part of things. And church family, we need now more than ever to be planning and moving forward, embracing the vision that God has given us for this congregation, for our church. And part of that means that we're going to have to take more personal our discipleship. The discipling of others, we're going to have to be more intentional about that. Because everyone can disciple someone. See, every person needs an Apostle Paul in their life. Every person needs a Barnabas in their life. And every person needs a Timothy in their life. They need someone who can disciple them. They need someone to walk beside them. And they need someone they can disciple. Each and every one of us need that. That's what helps us to grow in our relationship with each other, but also with God. I mean, ask God. Ask God to reveal to you someone you could come alongside and encourage and and help disciple. Start meeting with somebody one-on-one during the week. I mean, isn't that one of the reasons why we're studying Multiply? So we'll be equipped to walk the journey with people. By the way, Wednesday evening activities resume this Wednesday. And for if you're studying with us in Multiply, we're going to be on page 187. So you may want to make a note of that. Start reading that chapter and we'll talk about it. We need to be intentional about positioning and equipping ourselves to influence our community for Jesus Christ. We need ministries that evangelize and redeem people. We need to be intentional and purposeful about meeting the needs of children, of youth, of young marrieds, of senior adults in Temple, Texas. And we need to grow up in our Christian maturity so we see past our needs to the needs of others. See, if we're going to continue to see our church move forward to the magnitude that God would have us, we've got to be willing to give. I'm talking about money. In case you didn't get that. We have to be willing to give and we have to be willing to go. We have to be willing to pray and we have to be willing to plan. We have to be willing to serve and ultimately to show the love of Christ to others. Now admittedly we may be above average in in many things. But my desire this morning is for us to raise the bar. Yet again. I mean, being above average is not good enough. Our destination is excellence. Not perfection, excellence. Our desire must be to be all that God wants us to be. Let's read in Hebrews. I do have a text. Hebrews 12 Beginning, I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. 
and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, I am excited to be a part of the team here at Memorial. I mean, God is building a great team to accomplish some great things. And many times when teams compete for a championship, sometimes even during a game, a great team has to make some adjustments. You know, they, at halftime, great teams learn to make those adjustments if they want to win the game. We're going to have to make some adjustments. We have to change the way we think about doing things as a church if we want to win more people to Christ for his kingdom. What I'm saying is for us to begin to think differently in order to bring about change as a church family. You know, the New Testament most often compares the Christian life to the races and the games of the arena. In 1 Corinthians 9, it says we ought to run purposefully in order to get the prize. In Galatians 2 and 2, it says we should take care that we do not run the race in vain. 2 Timothy 4, 7 says at the end, we should be able to say that we have fought the good fight, that we've finished the course. We need to run in such a way that we obtain the prize. See, the author of Hebrews reminds us that we run our race in a spiritual stadium. Surrounded by former runners who now witness to the reality and the triumph of faith. I think this is huge. Because he pictures a stadium full of people who have already run their race. Those champions of the faith, those heroes, those giants of the faith that we look to and want to model our faith after. They've already run the race and now they are watching us run our race. So my encouragement for you is this. Run your race in light of the encouragement. Run your race in light of the encouragement. And that encouragement is twofold. Picture this. Former participants in the same race packed the stadium. Let me give you a recent illustration of this. Last Monday night, December 26th, the Dallas Cowboys beat the Detroit Lions 42-21. to And what they did is they showed on camera... Emmett Smith in the bleachers, in the, in the stadium, watching them play that game. One of the greats who is now retired from the, the race was watching the game and cheering on those who were playing the game. That's the picture that we get here. I mean, we read about the, Hebrew, the, the heroes in, in Hebrews 11... And they are witnesses in the sense that they speak to us about the faithfulness of God. (laughs) By faith, Abraham received the promise. 
by faith, Enoch, Abel, all of these others received the promises of God and they, they, they speak to God's faithfulness in the race. They have run the race. <laughs> and they won. They won. It's true. They're encouraging us. The writer of Hebrews is encouraging us. But not only are they former participants, now they are spectators. We are in some sense to be cheered on by the fact that they are watching us. I mean, do you know what it meant to that young running back, Ezekiel Elliott, to know that Emmett Smith was watching him run? Do you know what it means to have Sarah or Rahab watch you run? Or Abraham and Moses watch you run as you carry this treasure in earthen vessels? We ought to be encouraged by the thought of both the biblical and historical Christians who witnessed to us through their lives and with the thought that they're watching us as we run our race. So run your race in light of the encouragement, but also run your race without impediment. This is big. We are to act with decisiveness in laying aside anything at all that hinders our race. That's what he says in verse 1. He says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Originally, this word lay aside referred to the, the bulk of the body. The bulk of the body. You know, the, the runner, as they train, they abstain from certain things in order that they could be sleek and swift. I mean, chocolate pie seems pretty innocent to me. It's not inherently evil or sinful. But listen, the runner abstains. Because they have their eye on the goal. This word also refers to an arrogant person who exudes undue confidence. Lay aside. Scripture tells us that God is opposed to the proud, but he exalts the humble. But it mostly refers, this word mostly refers to any heavy or burdensome load. Lay it aside. Stop running with a backpack full of things filled from this world. Put the backpack down and run the race. Get on with it. We're to free ourselves from anything, however good and innocent, which hinders us in the race. It could be a relationship. It could be a possession. It could be a habit. Anything that slows us in the least. The strong word here, lay aside, speaks of stripping off a garment. Something that entangles our feet and keeps us from being able to run unhindered. Lay it aside. 
There's a call for an immediacy, an urgency, and a radical call to be done away with these impediments. Those things which impede our race. If this is true of things that are in and of themselves innocent, how much more is it true of those things that we would call known sin? I mean, such sin, it says, easily entangles us. And the author is realistic about us, and he's realistic about our sin, because we're susceptible. We're easily contracted. Sin is so easily contracted into us and into our being. The word suggests the fatal easiness with which sin stands around us and encloses us. It's almost as if the sin is standing there waiting for you. We're circled by it all around. Over in Genesis chapter 4 verse 7 the Lord said to Cain, he said, if you, do not, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. See, there are those sins toward which we are inclined because of our temperament, because of our weakness, and because of our environment. Let me just boil this down. We are encircled by the opportunity to sin. And we are encircled by witnesses to encourage us. So dear Christian, which of those two are you going to listen to? Those who have run the race and won or those who are trying to trip you up? Because that's your choices. See, we're called to the supreme motive and the highest encouragement. Because above all of that cloud of human witnesses is our king. The one who did it all for us. The one who died for us. Far more than any other contestant has, he has faced the battle... He has faced the battle that we now face. He endured suffering beyond all others and received glorious joy beyond the battle. So I encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Pay special attention to what he suffered in his human nature. It means we... We must continually look away from distractions and look to him. The King James Version puts it this way, looking unto. Looking unto, and it has the, the connotation that you're looking away from everything else so that you can look unto Jesus. The very word suggests that we are looking toward one thing, and we are to see in the Lord Jesus the great example and the great giver of faith. And he's the giver of our faith. He's the author and finisher. He's the originator and the completer of our faith. And this is true of, of the faith of every person in the biblical record. I mean, when we think about Moses, 
This is what it says in John, and these are Jesus' words in John chapter 5, verse 46. He says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. And Abraham, he saw Christ's day, John 8, 56. For your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Wherever you find the first stirrings of faith, or wherever you find the final victory of faith, you find the person of the Lord Jesus. He is the giver of our faith. He's also the example of our faith because he enables us to look beyond present circumstances, present discouragement to future encouragement in the life of faith. I mean, our Lord Jesus endured the shame of the cross, dying the death of a criminal considered by his executioners, cursed by God. That's what it says in Galatians 3, verse 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You know why he did that? Because of the joy that followed the conflict. He was willing to trade the pain to reap the joy. See, this is a basic decision which the life of faith makes initially, but also continually. We must say with the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I mean, we have people in the front lines. We have people in the front lines of the fight, like Craig and Susan Owen, Establishing beachheads, Southeast Asia, enduring much to see the gospel of Jesus Christ move forward. Eric and Marilyn Lofsgaard living among the poor in Nicaragua in order that someday Christ will be shared with these people. Charles and Brittany Shirey, they're plowing new ground and they're settling into their new assignment in Spain. Rogers and Rachel, Rachel Kahindi in Mombasa, Kenya. They're living in more primitive conditions in Africa, laboring with primitive tools and serving the poor of the poor. And these and many others are enduring pain and suffering in order to tell others about Jesus. And with tremendous souls like that to inspire us, to be examples for us, how could we even hesitate to support them. Of course we're going to support them. See, our call, my call and your call, is to run the race with endurance. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. We've proven to be a great congregation out of the blocks. But my encouragement and challenge for you this morning is this. Let's press on. Let's reach out for excellence in everything we do. From our worship, to our discipleship, to our outreach. We have a great cloud of witnesses that are watching us. And they're cheering us on. And you know many of them. People like Silvera Barton. 
saying, run the race. It's your turn. People like Reverend George Brown served here many years, serving, preaching, seeing people come to Christ. People like the Bakers, the Sloughs, and many, many others. Great men and women of faith that we had opportunity to know as they worked and served and gave themselves and trusted the promises of God. And now they're watching us run our race. A new year begins today, 2017. What are you going to do with this new year? I mean, let's make, let's make 2017 a year we will never forget. Let's run the race like we've never run it before. With more life, with more love, with more gusto than we've ever put into life. Let's get it done. Let's get after it. Let's make prayer a priority. Let's build our foundation on the Word of God. Let's build a strong sense of community. And let's have a vision for, God, for what God wants to do through us. See, in our Lord Jesus, we can assure ourselves that the best is still to come. Whatever we see with our eyes is only temporary. But what we know and what we see with our eyes of faith lasts forever. We should receive a fresh anointing, a new revelation, a renewed passion from the Lord. Because he holds what is in store for us in 2017. And I want you to know, we should leave everything in 2016 except the promises of God. Because he will fulfill his promises to the smallest detail. Don't live on your past victories. Press on for a new one. And don't, li don't live in a defeated position. Rise in an expectant posture, expecting God to do something in your life. So I want to ask you to consider something today. What are you willing to lay aside so that God, so that you can make a difference for Christ in 2017? What are you willing to lay aside so that you can make a difference for Christ this next year?